So the last thing that I made with my butcher box shipment was aloo chicken, and it turned out really well. One of my favorite things is to get the shipment and then open up the New York Times cooking app and see what I want to create over the next few weeks. It helps my creative cooking chops, and both my wife and I really enjoy it. ButcherBox offers a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing price, plus they have exclusive member deals, and they also have their own recipes, although I am preferential to the New York Times app, but that's just me. And you can sign up today at ButcherBox.com conspirituality and get their special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. So for that year, you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com conspirituality and use code conspirituality to choose your free for a year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. everyone. Welcome to Conspirituality. I'm Derek Barris. I'm Matthew Remsky. I'm Julian Walker. You can stay up to date with us on Instagram. Oh, no, wait, you can't because we've (laughs) been taken off Instagram again. Uh, We're working on it, but we are at our backup account. So that is ConspiriPod, C-O-N-S-P-I-R-I-Pod on Instagram. So we'll be posting there, hopefully for not that long. This has happened before uh, and we'll figure out the algorithmic demons that are doing this to us. Uh, We are on Twitter where we have not been to platform, so you can follow us there. Uh, I will be posting some more stuff on TikTok soon. And of course, we're on Patreon at patreon.com slash conspirituality, where for $5 a month, you can help support us and keep us editorially independent, as well as access our Monday bonus episodes, where the other two hosts here have been doing a lot of work on Teal Swan. Yeah, we are barreling into the second part of our movie night episodes, where we take a look at Girl Interrupted, which was Teal Swan's favorite movie as a teenager. So many good things to look at, Julian. Yeah, and and in keeping with what's been happening with the series, we're really doing a, a pretty deep cultural analysis on the time period and on like sort of the roots of conspirituality and how a set of different forces are sort of coming together alchemically in that time to produce someone like Teal Swan who will then have the kind of influence she has over an audience that is ripe.
archetype for that stuff. And as we look at Girl Interrupted, there are, there are so many threads. But I know, Matthew, you have a particular observation we were discussing earlier just about media and technology and the sort of acceleration of certain themes, you know, becoming more widespread. Yeah, I think that the story of conspirituality is the story of repeated themes that are hijacked or they're boosted by new technologies. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things that happens as we look at even the transition from Susan Kaysen's memoir, Girl Interrupted, uh, into a Hollywood movie is kind of like an acceleration and an inflammation of impactful themes that kind of mirrors uh, a lot of the, the the intensifications that we we study as we look at how the satanic panic goes from the hardcover book form of Michelle remembers uh, to ABC's 2020, and then finally to the internet. Uh, so I think I think our series is really a media studies series as much as it's anything else. That's right. That's right. And so keywords here might be things like satanic panic, adjacent, mental illness, misogyny, uh, media. Right. The medium is the message. Uh, all all right. uh, how how propaganda goes viral. Conspirituality one hundred and twenty three, the red pilled academic who named our podcast. Mystery topic today, emergency episode, breaking story, amazing if true, totally transformative plot twist. You got to listen through all the way to the end, guys, for the big reveal, uh, and then uh, smash the like button and, you know, subscribe for more. Spoiler alert. QAnon was foreshadowed by Pizzagate, but Pizzagate was foreshadowed by a moral panic in London, England, that was driven in part by someone the three of us are karmically bound to, for good or ill, forever. But first, Derek Scott, a This Week in Conspirituality segment on the boom times for pseudoscience telehealth, psychic healing for Zoom, as he calls it. Yeah, and by the way, we will all be fully engaged with This Week in Conspirituality. Next week, uh, my mental health is still recovering from reporting on Will Blunderfield's body fascism anal workshops last week. Uh, but Derek's good to go. He's got it all queued up because, as we've said, he might be Will Blunderfield, and he's just totally fine with all of this. Nothing can touch his content. So let's settle in for a little cursed reporting. Well, all right, guys, just one This Week in Conspirituality topic to kick things off with this new segment. And I want to think back to last week when you might recall I made some predictions about where I think conspiritualists are heading. And during that time, I held one back for this week. And that is the wonderful world of telehealth. You know, it's kind of like psychic healing only through Zoom. Right. Uh, seriously, though, I did some sessions with actual doctors during the pandemic. And for not that serious issues, telehealth is a good tool in modern medicine's toolkit. There are a few problems with it. I'll, I'll get to one of them at the end of this segment. But it seems like conspiritualists have gravitated toward telehealth in a big way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you briefly had Mickey Willis pimping a telehealth site that he was involved with a few months ago. Right. It was uh, The site had a bald eagle and American flag, and it marked itself as freedom, freedom, something, something. In fact, all of the telehealth sites being uh, created by conspiritualists right now are all about freedom. That is the word you're going to see across the board. Mm. 
Now, of course, there was the biggest grift, which was Americans' frontline doctors, which was led by the insurrectionist Simone Gold. Right. Uh, that organization raked in $15 million hawking hydro- hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, as well as consultation fees, which cost $90 a pop wow. over a four-month period in 2021. And that was because of a web leak that that was found out. So who, who knows how much money they made overall. Uh, many customers in that pipeline, I got to say customers because patience isn't really a fitting term, uh, they report never having been called back after paying the fee and waiting and waiting and waiting by the phone. And Gold, by the way, has not stopped grifting at all. Uh, she left what she calls the <laughs> communist nation of California. And even while spending 60 days in jail for being at the Capitol on January 6th, she continued working on her new practice in Florida, <laughs> which is called Gold Care. Jesus. Uh, Gold Care is proudly not HIPAA or insurance covered and recommends that people who can afford their annual $1,000 or $2,000 membership fees or their $100 telehealth visits apply for faith-based or medical share plans. Mm-hmm. Now, the website doesn't list any doctors. They only say that they've been founded by America's frontline doctors. And at the same time, they promise that they'll look out for your mental well-being, although you don't know who these people are at all. Uh, but for this segment, I want to focus on the latest to join the conspiritualist telehealth grift, which is cardiologist Peter McCullough, Uh, He was early on the hydroxychloroquine train, and he's been one of the top-tier COVID misinformation spreaders, of course, including his infamous performance on the Rogan podcast. Uh, Among his greatest hits, he stated that people under 50 don't need a job. Uh He also said people under 30 don't need a job, and he said that there's no such thing as an asymptomatic spread of COVID. Mm -hmm. Uh, So here we go. His latest endeavor is called the wellness company. Right. Uh, so let's listen to Charlie Kirk, who had McCullough and one of the other founders on the his uh, I, podcast, YouTube. I, I don't know what Charlie Kirk does, but here's Charlie Kirk explaining what the wellness company is. Our healthcare system is incredibly broken. And our reaction to the China virus, the Fauci virus, revealed that if doctors actually want to treat their patients, they could be kicked out, they could lose their license, they could be investigated. Well, there is an amazing new company that is coming online called The Wellness Company. It's twc.health, and you guys can have a special link for Charlie Kirk Show uh, listeners. It's twc.health slash charlie. And it's run by two pretty incredible people that have been right all the way along, Dr. Peter McCullough and Dr. Harvey Risch, Chief Medical Board of The Wellness Company. And they both join us now to talk about their new endeavor as well as what's going on with medical totalitarianism in America. I mean, is it the China virus or the Fauci virus? Oh, fuck off. God damn. But also notice that Kirk is already pimping an affiliate code because like with Gold Care, the wellness company is subscription based. Uh, In fact, for just $9.99 a month, you can get free shipping. Uh, Anyone want to guess what they're shipping? 
Right. Nutraceuticals. Of course. Organic bee pollen. Mega multivitamin gummies. And they even pimp the Z-Stack. Right. Uh, Besides their supplement line, there are also two tiers. One is called the Wellness Membership. And the other is called Freedom from Pharma. Uh, So besides that monthly fee, you can purchase things like a core wellness package, which includes three connect visits and $500 in credit to the marketplace, all for just $730. So basically you're giving 500 just to get it back at the market and then for the whatever the connect visit are. Uh, But here's my favorite. It's called the Adverse Reaction Recovery Package. Wow. So remember, these are the anti-vaxxers who are really concerned with vaccine injuries. And, you know, I posted this screenshot on our Instagram page the other day, and someone said, don't make fun of people who've been injured by vaccines. I have no intention on doing that. I know it's a real thing. Yeah. Uh, this isn't just COVID vaccines. This is any vaccines. So people do have adverse reactions. But when you look at a company by notorious anti-vaxxers who are now grifting in telehealth and they're offering an adverse reaction recovery package for what they claim to be a value of $3,189.99. For sure. Uh, It can be yours for $1,000 or... $1,250 1250 if you're not a member of the wellness company, so if you're not paying the subscription fee. And it has a whole bunch of things, five connect visits, a viral illness analysis lab panel. No idea what that is. They don't explain it on the site. Come on. Wellness enhancing supplements, recommendations for them, because of course they're not going to give them to you. You got to pay extra for that. Of course. Uh, prescriptions to remote recovery. If you go to the pharma page on the wellness company's website, you're going to find that they only talk about how they try to avoid pharmaceuticals as much as possible. And then you have at-home collection, nutrient levels, Naturally. secondary effects of the vaccine, metabolic indicators, preventing recovery. Uh, so this is all part of the lab panel. So this is just, and again, no explanations of it. And um, well, let's hear now McCullough explain the wellness company in a little more depth to Charlie Kirk. You know, we joined forces, uh, Dr. Rish and I, with two other doctors, Dr. Uh, Richard Ammerling, uh, who's a senior nephrologist and former uh, uh, dean level at a medical school in the United States, and Dr. Heather Gessling, a family physician in Missouri, to form the medical board of the wellness company uh, that's driven by uh, innovator and business leader, Foster Colson. This is going to be a a virtual company that's going to reach all corners of the United States, offering uh, telemedicine, healthcare, innovative products, uh, uh, teaching and, and online learning, uh, and very importantly, a response to the long COVID syndrome as well as vaccine injury syndromes. So just as a note, McCullough was on the Kirk Show with Harvey Reich, who is the Yale School of Public Health professor of epidemiology who became a darling on the anti-vax circuit for spreading misinformation in front of Congress. But I want to point out the other name that McCullough invokes there, which is Foster Colson. Uh, little research found that he's the chairman and owner of a supplement company called International Health Brands in Boca Raton, Florida. Yeah, nice. Which is also where the wellness company is based. 
But then he has this other little job as a board member of the Colson Group of Companies in Canada. So when you find the Colson Aviation website, you learn that not only do they fly planes, they also run a multi-generational logging company that's expanded into firefighting and manufacturing as well. Foster's grandfather, Cliff, founded the company in 1960. And interestingly, when you look up Foster uh, Colson on LinkedIn, it says he's a board member of the Colson Group. But according to the Colson Group's website, he became co-president alongside his brother in 2019. So it seems like he's a little more vested in that company. Yeah, uh, He's also an inventor, apparently. Uh, here's a piece of his bio from the Colson Group site. In 2015, Foster founded Colson Ice Blast, an environmentally friendly cleaning technology that is pioneering the process of ice blast cleaning with regular ice as media. After the success of the first CIB product, the Ice Storm 90 trademark, Foster and his team went on to develop and manufacture the world's first dual-mode ice blasting machine, wet ice or dry ice media, now sold around the world as Ice Storm 45 trademark. Um, now look, awesome. Don't really know what that is, but you have a patent, you've invented a product, that's wonderful. Your family's in logging, firefighting, aviation, great. But now he's cosplaying as a medical director, and he really promotes his his company as a political endeavor. So here's how he describes the wellness company on his LinkedIn page. After more than 15 years of leading and building successful businesses, I became aware of a failing medical system, oppressive government health policies, and the lack of appreciation for natural approaches to cure illnesses. <laughs> I could no longer sit on the sidelines watching this happen. I had to be part of the solution. That solution is the wellness company. Mm -hmm. So basically, put it all together, dude found a bunch of doctors to sell his supplements right. and to play politics. Right. So this is what you're really paying for, not health. And I just want to add that for all of the masks hide your smile and destroy human connection rhetoric that I've been hearing for the last two years, for all the community building that the anti-vaxxers supposedly are doing, it's really quite stark and amazing how much they're monetizing telehealth, which is the most impersonal form of medicine possible. Right Now, as I said, there are good uses for it. During the pandemic, I had some skin irritation, and I saw one of my doctors when I lived in Los Angeles over Zoom. She gave me a script for a steroid. It worked great, moved on, didn't have to see anyone, didn't have to chance getting COVID. Wonderful for that. But interestingly, on the Wellness Company website, you can get acute care for COVID-19, of course, but they also treat urinary tract infections, ear infections, and erectile dysfunction, among a laundry list of other uh, you know, possible ailments that people have. Now, I feel like I'd need to see a real-life doctor for those first two and get some tests or blood work done. 
So I'm not going to take a fucking prescription for vitamin C for a self-reported ear infection. But as for that last one, you know, come for the medical freedom, leave with a boner. Uh, You're certainly going to get what you pay for with the wellness company. Okay, Derek, I hate everything about this story. You're Um, welcome. I hate the the people in it. I hate the numbers. I hate all of the money involved. Uh, I'm thinking about how telehealth, you know, you pointed this out, can have these very you know powerful and accessible applications. I mean, here in Ontario, we have this universally covered telehealth line where the new nurse practitioners they don't diagnose, but if your kid has a really high fever at three o'clock in the morning, they can walk you through everything that you might want to consider and think about. And it's a really intimate and um, nurturing kind of environment. Can I just so say that's, that's my amazing. experience? Yeah, it is amazing. That's amazing because when our child has that, we go sit in the emergency room for six hours before we get seen at three in the morning. Yeah. And I'll also say, having worked in an emergency room for two years, there are a number of people, A, who don't have health insurance and so have to go there for their primary care. And B, there are also people who honestly shouldn't be going to see doctors, but they might have some psychological malaise and they they, they repeatedly go and telehealth can actually be a buffer against that uh, in in good ways for people who might not need the treatment they think, but then they don't clog up the rest of the healthcare system for other people. Totally. Yeah. I mean, we should also remember with regard to telehealth that Dr. Tom Cowan, he's the anthroposophical doctor uh, who cut the primo viral conspirituality COVID denialism video the day before the WHO declared a pandemic. Uh, and then Kelly Brogan picked that up. It, it had hundreds of thousands of views. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the one where he said, you know, when you know Rudolf Steiner's work, you have the answers to the test, and then you just have to figure out what the questions are. And then also said that all the previous pandemics can be sort of uh, apophenically connected to the emergence of new electromagnetic technology in every single case. And that's all this is. Right. Right, right. That the Spanish flu actually was about uh, the the extension of radio service throughout yeah. the world and so on. Anyway, he he is no longer a doctor. Why? Well, I think he got tired uh, of it all, and I think maybe he makes more money uh, with Brogan and crew. But he also got busted for treating a cancer patient he had never met. How did he do that? He did it over the phone with a quack drug not approved by the FDA. So I don't want to hope for malpractice suits against these shit gibbons, but maybe they'll eat some dirt at some point. Let's hope. All right. So gentlemen, we have been sitting on a story for more than a year And today we're going to walk through it at a digestible but also nauseating pace. Uh, Are you guys both okay about dropping this at this point? It's been with us almost since inception, shortly after, but the pieces that have come together, uh, yeah, it's time. Yeah, it's time. Uh, Why have we been sitting on this? Uh, We've got two reasons. First of all, it's a super weird story, and it's taken some time to process, especially its implications. Also. I mean, we really weren't sure where it was going, and we were also giving some sources time to develop. So why drop it now? Um, The story 
uh, is being platformed, maybe not the full significance of it with regard to our beat, but uh, it's in the sights of a superstar journalist in the UK. There's little point in holding back now. So the journalist is Alexi Mostros. Uh, he is a veteran investigator, like 15 years, I think, at The Guardian. His last long-form podcast investigative hit was something, this incredible thing called Sweet Bobby, uh, which is a harrowing story of a woman who was mercilessly catfished by her own cousin for a decade. Uh, now, his new piece is a podcast called Hoaxed, which we'll put into the show notes. Only the first three episodes are out at this point, but we've heard enough to let our own dogs out. What is Hoaxed about? Um, there is an event, uh, a tragedy in recent British conspiracy theory mongering history called the Hampstead hoax. Uh, it erupted in around 2014. Uh, the background is that uh, this incident was the most virulent, internet-driven satanic panic on record, I think we have. Uh, now, it, with regard to you know the targeting of specific people, on the Swan Song series, we've gone deep on the uh, satanic panic history beginning in 1981, and that ripples up through the fateful meeting between Teal Swan and her satanic panic therapist, Barbara Snow, and that culminates in 2006 with Snow helping Swan file a police report in Logan, Utah, against the man she alleges abused her as a child. Now, as we've covered that actual abuse is quite plausible, plausible, but the report, along with Swan's storytelling since, points to a world that's a lot less recognizable, a lot less mundane, in which she was victimized by not one, but two satanic cults. Now, the thing is that the Swan-Snow story was pre-internet. Now, what Swan has done with it into the internet age is another story. But the story that Mostras is covering, uh, the Hampstead hoax, unfolds in during, I would say, one of the big first big internet conspiracy theory gold rushes. Uh, this is 2014. It happens in this bucolic London neighborhood, Hampstead Heath. It begins with two children aged seven and nine telling the Metropolitan Police some unbelievable things about their father and a network of teachers at their very Tony school. None of this is new at all. Uh, so when our listeners uh, go through the or listen to the material on Hoaxed, uh, they're not going to be surprised by what they hear. They've heard these stories before. And especially uh, Swan Song series listeners will know that the basic storyline of a book called Michelle Remembers is, is almost repeated in this incident. And that book is what single-handedly launched the modern iteration of The Satanic Panic, uh, published in 1981. And in the book, Michelle Smith, likely under hypnosis, tells a Catholic-pilled shrink named Lawrence Pazder about the satanic cult that she was abused by at the age of five, in 1950s in Victoria, British Columbia. And her tale alleges an enormous network of pedophiles, uh, baby killing, uh, cannibal and poop eating perpetrators that are roaming around in broad daylight. And zero evidence for any of it was ever turned up. And so much of it happens in the basement of her family home 
uh, in close proximity to neighbors and and at the hands of her mother. Right, right exactly. Uh, and then there's an invented uh, kind of convention center that's set up like a church or something like that. But of course, that structure is never found. Now, what Mostris's podcast unveils is almost a perfect echo of this same absurdity. Uh, and the two children recount these brutal stories of sexual abuse, of being taught how to murder babies by their, by their cult leader father. And all of it is terrible, tragic, uh, coerced, bullshit nonsense. And the cops quickly suss out that the kids are being coached that they can't identify basic locations where the abuse is happening, that the places they do identify don't exist. And then to top it off, the children recant. And all of it is on tape. And that's the real problem because, unfortunately, those videos get leaked. And they're extremely disturbing because they show the children reciting in this kind of flattened, practiced dissociative tone, a list of abject horrors being done to them and that they're perpetrating on others. And, you know, if you're not completely brain melted yourself, you would look at this material and instantly know that something is wrong. Now, what's really going on beneath the, you know, accusations made to police is that their mother, uh, named Ella Draper, is desperately trying to win custody over her British children, to take them back to her native Russia. Now, their British father, Ricky Dearman, opposes the move. We know now from Mostris's reporting that Ella never really fit into the Squaresville and bourgeois London mom scene at that time. She's a Bikram yoga teacher, she's a vegan, and Mostras interviews a fellow mum from the school who remembers the kids being dropped off at a birthday party and Ella saying, oh, by the way, the kids are vegan. But of course, it's a regular like London birthday party for kids with sausage rolls and probably a lot of fizzy drinks and a sugary cake. So it's like nightmare for the wellness world. Um, dairy, but, too much dairy. Too much dairy, mm. yeah. And But very importantly, it appears that at the time the allegations are made. The mom is also in a newish relationship with a raw food zealot named Abraham Christie, who seems to have profoundly influenced her with some very bad ideas and then perpetrated battery and abuse on the children. When the case eventually makes it to court in 2015, Mrs. Justice Poffley issues a blistering finding, writing, it was alleged that the children's father, Ricky Dearman, was the leader of the cult and that others included the children's head teacher, Ms. Forsdyke, another teacher, Mr. Hollings, the priest at the adjacent church, a large number of named parents of other children, social workers, uh, CAFCAS officers, and police officers. It was said that in all, more than 100 people were involved in, quote, doing sex, unquote, to the children. So I just want to say, this is this is kind of what we know today as the QAnon throw spaghetti at the wall divorce gambit, right? To get custody of my kids, I'm just going to accuse everyone of the worst atrocities. See what sticks. 170 people. Crazy. Yeah. 
I am able to state, the judge writes, uh, with complete conviction that none of the allegations are true. I am entirely certain that everything Ms. Draper, her partner, Abraham Christie, and the children said about those matters was fabricated. The claims are baseless, and those who have sought to perpetuate them are evil and or foolish. Very strong words. Mm. All the indications are that over a period of some weeks last summer, uh, P and Q, the pseudonyms for the children, were forced by Mr. Christie and Ms. Draper working in partnership to provide concocted accounts of horrific events. The stories came about as the result of relentless emotional and psychological pressure, as well as significant physical abuse. Torture is a strong word, but it is the most accurate way to describe what was done to the children by Mr. Christie in collaboration with Ms. Draper. The children were made to take part in filmed mobile phone recordings in which they relayed a series of fabricated satanic practices. Subsequently, at the instigation of Abraham Christie and Ella Draper, the children repeated their false stories to Jean Clement Yohiru, uh, Mr. Christie's brother-in-law, in a late-night discussion. It lasted for about three hours. Mr. Christie and Ms. Draper did most of the talking. So... Uh, that's the ruling that comes down in 2015. The case should be closed, right? Well, no. Uh, Ella and Abraham flee the country. They've never been prosecuted. Uh, The last known location of Ella was a Gibraltar jail where she got done for trafficking cannabis resin. Um, One of the things that Abraham Christie was really into was uh, hemp in all of its forms. But worse than these two folks getting off, their story seeded a tornado of very dangerous online bullshit with real-world impacts. And this is the part of the story that I think really underlines what I mentioned at the top uh, about the repetitive but also accelerating nature of conspiracy theories, which do not change so much in content Uh, as they do in form and modes of transmission. So we know that the blood libel is an early medieval rumor, but it really takes off with the publication of Thomas of Monmouth's Life and Miracles of William of Norwich in about the 13th century. We know that the Protocols of the Elders of Zion first appears in Russia in 1903, but then it takes off globally, and especially in the English world, English-speaking world, when Henry Ford publishes it in the Dearborn Independent, which reaches a circulation of 270,000 copies in 1921. The satanic panic of the 80s and 90s is like analog. Um, it is rolls out in books. Uh, it rolls out in magazine articles. But then it begins to explode through the exploitation boom of primetime news shows. And then it goes nuclear with the message board's with blogging, and then with social media. And uh, and Matthew, not only primetime news shows, but also the daytime talk shows that thrive on a kind of lurid, Mm -hmm. very emotionally intense uh, subject matter and audience participation and people fighting it out on the stage and the worst possible things being accused. Right, and zero Mm fact-checking. Right. So, I mean, I think the axiom here is that the conspiracy theory drug never changes. We just find more intense injection methods. And those methods are facilitated by technological developments, you know, printing to mass media to the internet. And those function in collusion with capital because conspiracy theories are always lucrative 
IP. So, you know, I don't know what comes next, but, you know, I know that Derek has been predicting Oculus cults for a while. So I fully expect uh, like Meta to be building, you know, the monetization of virtual reality conspiracy theory sites into their business model. Um, but this leads me to a very strong statement that Mostras makes in episode two of Hoaxed, that just as Pizzagate was the precursor to QAnon, the Hampstead hoax was the precursor to Pizzagate. So let's just put a pin in that statement because we'll come back to it. It's kind of mind-blowing. Now, it's at this point, uh, after Ella and Abraham have fled, uh, that the hoax actually really starts cooking with gas because in the midst of her conflict with Dearman and the aftermath of the closed police case, Ella connected with a group of incredibly resourceful and extremely online conspiracy theorists with decades of bullshitting experience who began to champion her cause. And together, they leaked the investigation materials, but also like these wild fever dream documents, like the 11 pages of names and fake crimes that Ella had written down in a Word document uh, in the process of co-creating this satanic conspiracy with, with Abraham. Now, just a side note here that uh, Mostros reflects in episode three of Hoax that it's not clear whether Ella is exploited by Abraham and the conspiracy theorists who begin to champion her by popularizing her extremely volatile, volatile fiction or whether she's also manipulating things herself. And I think the answer from a cult studies perspective is that it's both, that being fully indoctrinated into a social contagion is actually defined by your willingness and your ability to draw others in. All in all, Ella's list contained over 170 names of Hampstead locals, parents, uh, local officials, uh, local clerics, and when they were doxxed, they were harassed mercilessly to the point of death threats. The parents report that family lives were ruined, uh, that children had regressed to bedwetting from the stress. And I just want to make a big trigger warning here that describing, as I describe, I think the most cursed part of the harassment is that once the children's names of the doxed parents were known, those parents started getting solicitations from in real life pedophiles who assumed those parents were selling their children for sex, and so they were inquiring about pro prices and so on. Incredible. Yeah, which even you know, I'm sure for the for the uh, red pilled would would represent further evidence, right? Once you follow that paper trail, oh look, we have we have proof that they, these these interactions went on, right? Right, right, and that they were being they were taking solicitations mm -hmm. instead of being harassed mm -hmm. by 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 the machine that that they were actually generating. So anyway, uh, the zealots who spread this around were really efficient. They were really connected. Uh, they were all over David Icke's forum. They got the story onto Infowars. I mean, the, the parallels here with, uh, with um, what Alex Jones is on trial for now around Sandy Hook are remarkable. They are, yeah. Now, we're talking about a viral movement now with global consequences. Um, and of course, the evidence or the materials that the uh, conspiracy theorists do not leak are the recanting statements of the children. Uh, 
If they referred to those statements at all, it was to imply that they provided evidence that the police were in on the satanic pedophilia, they were covering it up, that they had coerced the recanting statements. Okay, so the first pin I dropped was Mostris's charge that the Hampstead hoax prefigured Pizzagate and that prefigured QAnon. Let's just think about that for a second because QAnon has been a central driver of the MAGA movement and its inspiration for faux conspiracy-based neo-fascism around the world. Not only that, it's having this resurgence because Donald Trump keeps making references to it, right? And, and, and you know, you've had the theme song playing at rallies and people lifting their fingers up in the air in that creepy salute. Yeah. It, and you've had other, other candidates making, you know, subtle and not so subtle references. So it's like, oh, here we go again. Let's, let's rally the forces who are true believers in this nonsense. Right. The, the echo's getting louder. Mm-hmm. So here's a, here's a second pin. One of the conspiracists who spread the Hampstead hoax with great gusto was a woman who often wrote under the name of Jackie Farmer. Mostris's series does not conclude until November, so we're not sure how far he's going to pursue Jackie Farmer. He, he names her in, in episode two. She's not a central ringleader, so I'm, I'm not sure you know she'll be quite central to his reporting. Understandably, he's declined an interview until he's wrapped, so... We'll look forward to what he has coming. I hope we can have him on the show to to drill down. Okay, so Jackie Farmer's name is out of the bag. It's on the table. Uh, who is Jackie Farmer? Up until 2015, she was an extremely online conspiracy monger, going so far as to run an entire website dedicated to promoting the hoax called Hampstead Research. Now, we're going to include a web archive page. The the site is long gone, uh, but we'll post it so that you can see the notes uh, and um, their mission statement. Welcome to Hampstead Research. We're a team of researchers who are investigating allegations that Hampstead is the center of a cult that is a dark religion, possibly satanic or luciferian, ritually abusive, intergenerationally incestuous, cannibalistic. They believe there is power in the blood, networked with organized crime syndicates. We will be posting well-referenced articles and resources for researchers and updating our readers with facts on our blog. If you would like to contribute, please email Jackie Farmer, 1984 at hushmail.com. Right. So the site, thanks, Julian. I think that I think the accent is worth doing because there's something about uh, the location. There's something about the whole zeitgeist of this taking place in London that is is kind of is kind of important. I don't know exactly what the significance is, but there's but there's something there's something going on here. Um, the site, which last posted on Halloween of 2015 and then was offline entirely as of 2017, is just a a hellhole of apophenic morbidity. Um, One of Farmer's main critics called her the Joseph Goebbels of Hoaxted. Farmer was particularly obsessed with Ricky Dearman, the father in the case, uh, and just how satanic he allegedly was. But for all of the mental diarrhea, uh, the site is also presented through this very tidy British aesthetic. And and that'll come into into play in a bit because Jackie Farmer is just not your average basement-dwelling 
conspiracy chud because uh, we're going to see that she has a very respectable side. In fact, my friends, her respectable side took us in. But you'll have to listen to the end to find out exactly how. Right. Now, just, and I want to just give a word on nomenclature here. I, I use the word brain melted above to describe the hoaxers. Um, this comes directly from listening to a lot of uh, QAnon Anonymous. But as I describe the writings of Jackie Farmer below, I'm tempted to use other terms that indicate neurological injury, like like the like this stroke of a book or the seizure of a website. But these really, you know, it's not these are ableist terms. We really shouldn't use them. Uh, I propose that we use the term blunderfield instead. <laughs> uh, after our subject last week, uh, Will Blunderfield. Um, he, who promotes bizarre and projectively Freudian ideas while maintaining utter credulity. I think there's a, there's a crossover there. Why don't you just use Barris? That wouldn't make any difference, right? Since we're the same person. (laughs) Right. Okay. So, uh, dot com was just an echo of an online masterpiece, uh, that Jackie Farmer has left us. Because in 2014, she self-published an incredible blunderfield of a book called The Illuminati Party, Reasons Not to Be Scared of the Illuminati. Now, here's the promo blurb. It's still up on Google Books. This book does not try to persuade you that the Illuminati do or do not exist. This is because they do. But it is an illusion that they have all the power. In fearing them, you are under a spell they have cast. This book has been written to help you break it. I've been working underground as a warrior, subverting the Illuminati for years. (laughs) I discuss a few things you can do too, if you choose. So yeah, Jackie very empathetically wants readers to somehow gain strength as they absorb her abject tales about satanic abuse and Luciferian bloodlines. She notes that she's written the book for ages 12 and up. And and advises terrified readers to chant a protective mantra, quote, I release my fear and step into my power, unquote. So is this sounding like conspirituality, my friends? I mean, she's she's doing like a Christiane Northrup in a few different ways, right? right. And then talk, talk about child abuse. This is for, this is for 12 and up. <laughs> 12 and, and up, maybe, right. Maybe some mature 11-year-olds may be able to handle this bad shit, you know, terrifying material. All right, so a few gems from the book. As you will know, it's important for the Illuminati and the religious Satanists, our so-called elite, to reverse things, to turn things upside down like pentagrams. Survivors recall hearing backwards talking during rituals. Their religion dictates that they turn good into bad, health into disease, life into death, education into dumbing down, and so on. They do this very cleverly. And what they do has multiple purposes. For example, they lie to us that vaccination will save our children when it sickens them. Uh So they are turning truth into lies, health into disease. And when we offer our children for vaccination, it is our karma. And when we and our children die early because of the direct or indirect effects of vaccination, the planet is depopulated. And that is our karma. Or so they believe. You know, I wonder, I want to do a, like a, a word check on depopulated yeah. going back through, because uh, that's even there. It's crazy that that's there, because Bill Gates hasn't said the thing that gets misinterpreted that way yet. When does he say it? I don't know. I mean, I, I maybe he has, but uh, but it's just wild. Yeah. yeah, we'll have to look that up. We'll cross-check it. Anyway, does this sound familiar? Incredible stuff. Okay, now this next section is a little bit... Uh, 
nerdy, but it establishes something crucial, like a crucial connection that that we're going to piece together. So yeah, Julian, uh, lay it on us. Eventually, everybody will know about the Illuminati. Please try to bear with me on the numbers. If you find numbers boring, this is only a couple of short paragraphs, but the numbers are very important because they indicate that the Illuminati are coming to an end. The Illuminati are planning to reveal themselves to us at some point, but not yet. You and I and all the other people who know about them are not meant to know as much as we do. Their secrets are being exposed before time, and this is messing them up. This is why this information is important. I estimate, according to my research, that in the UK and the US and Canada at the moment, 2014, one in ten people overall believe in the Illuminati. These numbers are not only made up of preteens and teenagers who get their ideas from the music industry and the internet, and 20 to 40-somethings who are, more, who are more into observing our collective social chaos, but there are plenty of others who believe many baby boomers, 50-plus, are intelligent and experienced enough to have worked out what is going on, and I know more than a few in their mid-70s. The other 90% of the population don't believe, or aren't sure, or do believe, on the quiet part but don't like to admit it, or their actual Illuminati, programmed victims of mind control or members or henchmen of the Illuminati. Later, we'll have a look at how many there may be of those, but what you will never hear from the mainstream media is that according to reliable academic research, at the moment, more than 50% of people in France, Slovakia, and Hungary believe in a shadow government. More than 50% in Poland believe similar. Romania, Croatia, and Estonia are on board. Germany is waking up too. People have been out on the streets in Greece, Spain, Portugal, Slovenia, and other countries. And this is not to forget Italy, where the five-star movement led by a conspiracy theorist, Beppe Grillo, has about 25% of the Italian vote. And that's not all. So taken in a European context, the Illuminati are in very deep, hot water very, very deep. If you are in one of the 10% countries, one in 10 may not sound like many, but it is. One in 10 is statistically significant. Scientific research suggests that once 10% of the population believes in something, that belief will eventually spread to the other 90%, which means that everyone will start believing in the Illuminati. And this is possibly what is happening in the Europe. Excuse me. This is possibly what is happening in Europe. I, I, I messed up there because I was thinking, amazing if true. And <laughs> right. if, if this is going to be the case, we absolutely have to reduce the petrifying fear and help people step into their power. I hope you are with me on that. Anyway, that's the numbers over with for the moment. And of course, I, w I wasn't going to read something that long in a, in a fake uh, plummy accent. So forgive me. <laughs> right. Um, incredible material there in which Jackie Farmer makes something very clear. And it's a paradox at the heart of what we study. I don't think we've really hit on it closely enough, which is the belief that if she can s help spread this stuff around, eventually it will be perceived as true. Mm. But for her, that doesn't mean that reality will be distorted. It, it means that they believe, she believes that a story intuited from 
her inner selfie uh, and well-told will reveal reality. It will change the course of history, that we shouldn't be afraid of the Illuminati as we come to understand that their fictional existence is actually real, that they should be afraid of us. So I, I just don't think we've really zeroed in on this in quite the same way, that when the conspiritualist talks about raising awareness or consciousness, or waking it up. sounds like or waking up, it sounds like they're they're proselytizing their religion. But what they're actually doing in their world, in the world, is is a very explicit kind of disciplined devotional propaganda in that Goebbels sense of the repeated lie becoming true. But of course, they don't see it as a lie. Reading that, I also had this moment where I went, wait, what does she mean? And is there a, a weird kind of uh, unconscious double meaning here when she says, the, num- the percentage of people who believe in the Illuminati and then talks about kids and preteens, right? It's not just them, um, that they believe in them. It's, yeah, it's just, it's an interesting choice of words. It's like a, it's like a religious choice of words because she's not just saying who believe that there is this dark Illuminati who are in control of everything, but it's that they believe in the Illuminati, which could go either way, right? It's a great question. And it means that we could take that entire section and replace Illuminati with Santa Claus. Right. Yeah. And then the whole discussion is about like, what's the critical mass of people believing in Santa Claus that will either make Santa Claus appear or make him be so terrified that he will never visit you again with presents. That's right. And and typically we say, you know, I believe in Jesus Christ, mm. who who was born of a virgin and died on the cross for my sins, and who rose to the right hand of God. So I so I believe in this figure, and and it sort of underlines something about this type of conspiracy conspiracy narrative, which that which is that the thing that you are believing in as your salvation is actually this paranoid uh, uh, phantasm, right? Well, thanks for reading that, Julian, because I got to say that the book in general, I think you you struggled a little bit <laughs> with some of the phrasing, but the book is a piece of dog shit. Like it's, it's like there's typos, there's run-on <laughs> sentences, a terrible, terrible cover. Yeah, I think you just analyzed a grammatical error, not any <laughs> deep philosophical <laughs> thought on her part. Right, it's just this book, comes from the bottom of the self-publishing barrel. Like you can imagine a really precocious 15-year-old writing this. Mm. Um, and, and perhaps you'll also notice the presumptuous tone. Uh, I want to point out that she writes according to reliable academic uh-huh. research. Of course, there's, <laughs> of course, there's no citation. It's reliable though, believe me. Yeah, believe me. So what possible research could she be referring to? Gosh. Gosh, could it be her own? I mean, there's no Jackie Farmer to be found on Google Scholar. But that vague list of statistics about the populations of various countries waking up to the truth of the Illuminati shows up pretty loudly in another key place that's close to our hearts, actually. Because in May of 2014, uh, another website launched with a name you might find interesting, conspirituality.org. And if we take a look at the about page, now frozen forever on web archive, we'll get a sense of what it's all about. This website is based on a peer-reviewed article that was published in 2011 called The Emergence of Conspirituality. It discussed the considerable spread in the West of conscious-slash-spiritual conspiracy on the internet and identified a large new web movement or philosophy. I am the article's main author, so there are a few facts I must share for this 
parentheses personal website. The most important is that it has nothing to do with my co-author, Professor David Voas. This work is entirely my own. I am an independent researcher and have never received any money for any of my research. Sometimes I use we when writing because it reads better than I, 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 I. <laughs> it also conveys a sense of royalty. <laughs> right. <laughs> research demonstrates that people don't like to be called quote-unquote conspiracy theorists. So I've tried to avoid using the term on this website. When I've had to, it is not meant negatively. I'm one myself mm -hmm. and am okay with being called that. As I see it, arguing over the names people call you is like fiddling while Rome burns. But I've sometimes had to use the term for practical reasons. Please bear in mind that I'm trying to research, measure, and report back to the diverse international readership that is the internet. To do this, I need to use accessible and consistent terminology. I chose the name conspirituality because it aptly describes this phenomenon. Finally, the main method I'm using to measure the awakening web analytics is not a 100% precise or accurate science. You don't say. I'm not aware of anyone else who has ever used it to try to measure the global spread of these ideas. So Galileo then, right? There are no textbooks. I've had to work it all out for myself. I'm bound to have made even more mistakes and omissions. So if you spot any, I'd be grateful to hear them. Thank you. Yeah, two things as you're reading that that I just want to note. First of all, um, we have not really uh, promoted the idea here from the original paper that we're going to talk about that that uh, this person describes conspirituality as quote unquote conscious conspiracy or the self-aware conspiracy theorizing of the person who is waking up. So, so this is a person who believes that. Uh, conspiratorial thinking is a, is actually a form of of spiritual practice. The other thing that's really interesting is that in absence of you know any kind of like real research method method, she is describing the the internet as kind of like an ad hoc peer review committee or something like that. Yeah, like she's she's reporting back to the diverse international readership that is the internet as though she's getting an accurate sample or somehow mm. it's a very very. Um, idealized uh, view of of what the internet is presenting. Yeah, it's like it's it's a massive dissertation committee who who is going to decide on on her <laughs> right. presentation. And also, I, I think what you're pointing out, Matthew, is that this is her this is her acknowledging here that she's taken an additional step from the original article. Right, the original article says there are these two spheres. There may be some overlap. It's interesting. It, it identifies, and and maybe some of this is is Voas kind of reining her in. We can speculate. It identifies some of the things that conspiracy theorists and sort of new age spiritual people have in common, uh, in terms of seeing everything is connected, happening for a reason, and and there, there being these patterns you can detect, etc. Um, but it, it, I just have to say that when when the pandemic started. Some of the people who I had as acquaintances who started to tip over and who I would have arguments with in the DMs, like people I really liked who I knew from the yoga world, in hindsight now I look back and it's like, oh, actually that's not so surprising because these are people 
who were susceptible to the notion that it was a kind of spiritual practice to trust your intuition about the hidden truths of everything. Yeah, right. And, and, and so, yeah, she's, she's just exemplifying, hey, I went one step further into this and it appears that I'm not alone because there's this phenomenon of all of these people waking up and reading the signs and the symbols. Right, right. Well, this, this is a story of, of layers of detail and uh, disguises and laundering and, uh, and, 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 how, and how one presents one's material depending upon what audience one's speaking to. So I just want to point one thing thing out that that when a farmer talks about well it's not farmer at this point but we haven't gotten there but in the text that you just read when the writer talks about measuring the awakening uh we can go back to farmer's blunderfield book where she talks about 50% of the people in France, Slovakia, and Hungary mm-hmm. believe in a shadow government. She talks about Poland, Romania, Croatia, Croatia, and Estonia. Germany is waking up. She goes on and on with all of these countries. Now, the countries featured under the Global <laughs> Awakening tabs on conspirituality.org are Italy, Estonia, Belgium, Croatia, Spain, Hungary, Poland, Slovakia, Norway. Um, but there's a bit of a change because... Uh, or, or a little bit of a special sauce here, because sprinkled throughout the tabs are also posts on how the Dalai Lama and Eckhart Tolle have spoken favorably about the global awakening. So that stuff, when I when I when I scan uh, the Illuminati book, Jackie Farmer's book for Eckhart Tolle, she's not talking about New Age writers. She's not talking about the Dalai Lama. She's 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 pretty much firmly sort of set her target on the Illuminati. Uh, per se, uh, she's not talking about spiritual awakening so much, but but on her on this other site, that's the story. Yeah, and so just two quick things here. One is I was laughing because that list of countries is the list of countries that are leading the way in terms of fascist far right, um, you know, disturbing kind of movements. Some of them, maybe not all of them, but but it's it, that that's really remarkable. Right. And the other thing is that. Um, that list that she gives of all the different countries who have high levels of conspiratorial thinking, that really should be an academic list about the rising problem of conspiracy theories and how they appear in certain types of countries under certain <laughs> types of sociopolitical turmoil, right? Right, right. So um, as you read, Julian, conspirituality.org announces that it's a website based on a peer-reviewed article that was published in 2011 called The Emergence of Conspirituality. Now, our listeners will be familiar with this paper. Who are the authors? Uh, the text itself names David Voas, professor of religion and sociology, and Charlotte Ward, who is usually described as an independent researcher. Now, this has been a really helpful paper, uh, or at least we've used it in really useful ways for our project. And, you know, the crisp abstract, uh, I think I've probably read into dozens of interviews, BBC, CBC, NPR, uh, Rolling Stone, whatever, without really knowing what's going on under the hood. Somebody asks me for a definition. I'll say, well, well, there's a pretty good one from 2011, which says the female-dominated New Age with its positive focus on self and the male-dominated realm of conspiracy theory with its negative focus on global politics may seem antithetical. There is a synthesis of the two, however, that we call conspirituality. Uh, and it goes on to talk about it being a web movement, expressing an ideology fueled by political disillusionment. Uh, and, and the paper is really helpful. I think one of the most helpful insights is that uh, 
Ward and Voas suggest that conspirituality is a way for people to mitigate the emotional toll of the sort of nihilism that can come out of pure conspiracy thinking uh, because it actually promises something spiritually. So we found this paper early on and we were like, thank God someone predicted this and provided an analytical framework. However, it's a little more complicated than that. Um, And so here's where we have to thank the dogged gumshoeing of a woman named Karen Irving, who is a Canadian mystery novelist with a background in social work, who got involved with a Hampstead hoax quite accidentally. Uh, Her story and interview is on hoaxed in episode three. And everyone who worked with her, uh, that they did all of this ground zero sleuthing that the Metropolitan Police just weren't able to do. There have been several convictions of the cranks who spread the hooks around, and all of that happened because of Karen Irving and her colleagues. Can I just ask you, Matthew, because I don't know, what types of things have these cranks been convicted of? Stalking and harassment, uh, and I think it, it's it's in those it's in those categories. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's like the disciples of Alex Jones. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now on the mystery of Jackie Farmer what Karen Irving found. Uh, and I, I would say it's about 99% clear uh, and confirmed is that Jackie Farmer was a pseudonym used online to spread conspiracy garbage by the in real life independent researcher named Charlotte Ward, who in her normie persona was attempting to legitimize conspirituality as a modern religion. So I found Karen Irving and her conspiracy busting site by trying to track down Charlotte Ward to have a nice interview about her very interesting topic and how she was so prescient uh, in 2011. I was so excited to hear all about what Charlotte Ward thought uh, about her amazingly predictive article now. Uh, But no, Um, there are these coy content overlaps between uh, the Illuminati Party and Conspirituality.org, uh, and then a lot of the materials that appeared on uh, the Hampstead Research site. But what Karen and her colleagues did was uh, they found the forensic details. They pointed, for instance, to the author's page of Conspirituality.org, uh, where backslash Charlotte appears in the URL. But the only author listed on the page is Jackie. <laughs> right. So she posted to conspirituality.org under the name of Jackie Farmer. Uh, and and then uh, Karen and co. recount this long sort of breadcrumb trail that tied the two persona together through YouTube channels, other notorious conspiracy theorists in Britain, email addresses left open in video tabs and screenshot. Uh, and then finally, there's an email sent to a journalist named Brian Garrish, uh, who works for the news site UKcolumn.org. Uh, and in that email, Charlotte Ward is asking uh, that they stop looking into the identities and motivations of the Hampstead hoaxers. Because in the email, Ward and Farmer denounce the Hampstead hoax, which she helped to perpetrate, saying that it was now a psyop. This is an email from 2018. So in other words, when it all blew up, 
she disclaimed it. So here's the key bit from uh, the email. We believe that I was targeted initially because of my research article, <laughs> The Emergence of Conspirituality, which introduced the global awakening to the academic mainstream and warned the dark forces that they were going to be transcended. The article itself is evidence that I'm not malicious. And that crappy book, which I wrote to flag up who I was to any good guys out there and indicate that I was harmless, is all about handling the dark forces in a non-malicious way. So again, as you know well, I'm not malicious. I'm not blackmailing you. I'm simply laying out the consequences of these dogs not being called off. They, slash you, are not allowing us to walk away free and safe. To live on our crypto. <laughs> I think that's the best part. <laughs> to live on our crypto. Uh, she's she's really ahead of the, cur- the curve. So this is May of, of 2018. Derek, where was cryptocurrency in May of 2018? Is she like a really early adopter? No. Uh, she's okay. probably talking about Bitcoin. So it was launched in 2009. Oh, okay. Um, so it, it, but she was in the second wave. So that year it closed at $3,700. It's currently hovering around $20,000 mm. a coin. Uh, it did go up over 60. So it really depends. But either way, she's 6x over what she was then right now if she's held on to it. So that that is pretty early. That's actually the same year. February of 2018 is when I got into the industry. So I would say that's the second wave of crypto adoption. All right. So maybe that's how, maybe that's part of her, her how she's supporting herself now. Uh, it's unclear. Well, if she says to live on it, I mean, she probably has a good amount and you could feasibly, if you were holding since then, you could feasibly retire on that. Sure. Amazing. Wow. Okay, so the, the the kicker is that right in that email, the signature line is Charlotte Ward, aka Jackie. Oh Fleming. wow! You know, I, and I just I just want to pause here because we've been tracking all of this stuff for so long, and we've looked at it from so many different angles, and then set it aside, and you know, gone back and forth. To our listeners, this is pretty brand new, I and mean, it's pretty it's mind blowing kind of kind of connection we're making here to one of the people who really inspired our somewhat academic orientation to the subject, right? Right. Yeah, and I think uh, we'll get to the implications of that in a bit. Um, and, and but I should mention that there is a lot more that uh, Karen Irving and crew uncovered, and we'll see about going into more detail, perhaps even with her at some point. It also might be worthwhile to look into how far Charlotte Ward got in the academic world. Uh, Currently on her academia site, uh, she's got slides up from a presentation she gave to the British Sociological Association in 2010, uh, and this is a year before her paper with VOAS. So maybe, maybe that was all part of that process of getting that paper going. So what does it all mean? Um, I mean, for us, it means that for about 18 months, we quoted someone we thought was an academic on a topic that she was actually shilling Wait, wait, for. wait, wait. Are, are you saying we've been spreading misinformation, Matthew? Uh, it's, it's, um, I don't think so. We just didn't, we just didn't realize something very important about, who is enthusiastic about this material and why? Yeah, you, you know what? It, it, I know it's totally different, but it makes me think of of how there are there are multiple uh, Nobel Prize winners 
right. who have then turned, they've then gotten into all kinds of pseudoscience and conspiracy theories. And then the people who are into that stuff will always, well, this person's a Nobel Prize winner. Are you saying you disagree with them? Are you calling them a crank? <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, no, actually they are cranks. They just happen to have done right. some good work at some point in a somewhat related field or, or maybe completely an unrelated field, right? Well, she leaves some red flags in the paper, which I'll, which I'll get to. Uh, and, and she also defends herself in a way that I think is, uh, is, is a little bit um, dodgy. But, you know, we used her materials uh, on conspirituality to understand moral panics false abuse accusations, uh, how the process of linking abuse survivorship to enlightenment. We used her materials to understand the things that she was actually promoting. Um, we were unwittingly quoting a double agent. And, you know, I just have to think about how many times I said to an interview, uh, I think I even said to, to two academic conferences that, that Ward's work was so predictive. <sighs> and yes, it was fucking predictive because she was driving the conspirituality car off the QAnon cliff in 2014. Well, but, but hold on, because everything you just said should include and David Voas, right? And so there's, there's, who knows what that synergy was like? Who, and we know that, that he has, he has, he's in a different place right now. And we even presented at that conference uh, online in a, that was organized in Australia that had conspirituality in the title. And he was there to hear, you know, the, the sort of papers that we presented. So uh, yeah, it's complicated. I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting to okay. that and getting okay. to that. His name is on the paper. Uh, and so we have to follow up. Um, because here's, you know, an accomplished academic with a publishing history as long as my arm. And it seems that he's caught in the crossfire uh, somewhat and perhaps a victim of academic generosity. Now, I emailed him about their collaboration because we've been in touch as the podcast with, with him since the beginning. And, and he wrote back. So when I uncovered this stuff, I, I emailed him and, and he wrote back saying, when it came to conspirituality, she was a participant observer. She was sufficiently detached to analyze the phenomenon, but her familiarity came from personal interest in alternative spirituality tinged with conspiracism. She deserves full credit for the paper that was ultimately published in the Journal of Contemporary Religion. I did my best to give it an academic gloss, and I can't now remember exactly how much I contributed, but the core content is hers. We stayed in touch sporadically until the autumn of 2010, and I last saw her in the spring of 2011. She was at an academic conference with a new partner, my understanding was that he was in the oil industry and they were going to be moving to Suriname. And that's actually where LinkedIn places Charlotte Ward now. And I emailed her as well. Uh, and she wrote back to decline the interview, quote, for lots of reasons. But she also did write. However, if you send me a list of questions, I'd happily answer them in writing. Frankly, I probably sound a little deranged live anyway. <laughs> Oh yeah! Wow. So I I sent yeah I sent the questions. She didn't respond. Yeah, I mean this is this is wild. And and the thing that stands out is that Voa said he did his best to give it an academic gloss. And so then you think yeah. of this person as a self-described independent researcher. There was something uh, vibrant about the ideas. There was something in their relationship that meant he was like, yeah, let's do this paper. But he's also sort of, he's kind of acknowledging that he 
um, he, he legitimized it in, in a certain way and tried to make it uh, pass academic muster. Yeah, and you know, I don't think he did a bad job. Mm-hmm. I think it's a solid paper, yeah. but there is one example, I would say, of a kind of data laundering and weird smuggling into respectability that Jackie Farmer was able to manage through uh, her her alternate life of Charlotte Ward, or however we want to think about this. Because there's there's one sentence in Ward and Voas's paper that gave me like a big case of side eye, uh, and it was always stood out to me. So she quotes David Icke uncritically on the question of why conspiritualists are perceived as anti-Semitic. Quote, we need to drop the ludicrous, childish labels of Jew and Gentile and Muslim and all this illusory crap, unquote. Ward quotes Ike as saying, uh, quote, and come together in the name of peace and justice for all. There is not a Jewish injustice or a Palestinian injustice. There is simply injustice, unquote. Now, in the paper... Ward identifies Ike in relation to this quote as, quote, a British author and activist, unquote. <sighs> so, yeah, really? That's all? I kept, I kept like bumping up against that and saying, I mean, is this academic etiquette? Is this like super British? Is this generous? Um, but then simultaneously on her personal website, conspirituality.org, she actually brags about slipping that quote in. Oh, my God. Yeah, as though quoting Ike in a peer-reviewed process validates him as a source. She actually writes on her site, quote, We have published a peer-reviewed article which states that conspirituality is not about racism or anti-Semitism, unquote. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, to be clear, for anyone who hasn't read the article or hasn't read it in a long time, at no point in the academic article do they start making the kinds of leaps that she makes to saying that maybe conspiracy theories really indicate a kind of spiritual awakening. Not a chance. There's not a bit of that. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very observatory, descriptive uh, sociological study. It's like, this is what we've seen emerging online over the last X number of years. But what you just said is that there's something in there that gave you some side eye, but we sort of overlooked it because there wasn't much else going on in the paper that sort of further developed it or that indicated anything that we would be too concerned with. Um, but now here's this evidence that she actually gleefully celebrated having gotten that through as a little piece of you know, propaganda into the quote-unquote mainstream. Yeah, she she was able to quote David Icke uncritically in the Journal of Contemporary Religion. Yeah. So just imagine the undergrads reading this paper and saying, hmm, well, David Icke says right here in this peer-reviewed paper that he's not an anti-Semite. So I don't know, you know, that Conspirituality podcast seems to be pretty biased. So one one last thing. Uh, in the disclaimer email that she sent to ukcolumn.org, Uh, Ward wrote about her Blunderfield book in this way. She said, that crappy book, which I wrote to flag up who I was to any good guys out there and indicate that I was harmless, is all about handling the dark forces in a non-malicious way. Now, this book is filled with satanic panic material. It's got anti-vax content. It's got the suggestion that the National Health Service is making women sick with pap smear tests. Uh, taken to detect ovarian cancer. So is this a harmless book? Um, 
No. But let's look at one passage that directly feeds into Pizzagate and QAnon and the MAGA movement and trans bigotry and the rise of brain melt fascism. So content warning here for racism and trans bigotry. They are buffoons. If you did not know that the recently assassinated comedian Joan Rivers was right when she publicly announced that Michelle Obama was a Michael, hence her assassination, just head onto the web where you can see factual analysis of Michelle's physical dimensions that prove beyond doubt that she is a man. There's even a photograph of, of Michael in a blue silk evening gown with his lunchbox sticking out. And in one of his speeches, Barack Obama refers to Michelle as Michael. You see what I mean about knowing what you do not know? The Illuminati know that the idea of the President of the United States being a black gay man carried to being a gay black man married to a black tranny parading borrowed or adopted children is so outlandish that it could not be in anybody's consciousness so they can hide it in plain sight and this is true lots of people are convinced Michael who has had hormone replacement therapy to grow breasts and develop a woman's voice can flaunt his lunchbox and biceps in evening dresses and people do not notice because his masculinity is not in their consciousness. The mainstream media supports the lie and promotes Michelle and people buy it. Fortunately, we now have the internet. (laughs) The reason we know about Michael in the first place is because a White House whistleblower contacted a Christian conspiracy website and the facts checked (laughs) out. The word spread, and now, as Joan Rivers said, everybody knows. This is why the Illuminati are trying desperately to mutate the internet into something that can only be used to monitor us. Fear reduction, mockery. If you're now scared... By the Luciferian Obamas, there's no need to be. The Clintons and the Bushes are Luciferians, so this is nothing new. We are still the 90% and they are the 10. Try to see the ludicrous side of their outrageous schemes. Imagine the Obamas in pink chicken costumes mincing and blowing whistles at gay pride. This does not mean that you should approve of their heinous deception or laugh these psychopaths off, but... Laughter helps dispel fear, and you will be mocking them back, disempowering them. In subsequent chapters, I'm going to suggest a few ways in which you can help mess up their game. Michelle Obama is a man, is uh, a racist and transphobic, transphobic meme that emerges on the Chan boards and then shows up in Farmer's book in 2014 and then by 2017 is featured by Alex Jones in what would become a long-running bit. And its current iteration uh, can be seen in the wave of transvestigators who pour over internet photos of celebrities and politicians to prove that everyone is somehow trans. And so, therefore, of course, the world is ending. So, congratulations, Charlotte Ward and Jackie Farmer. You had us fooled for a while, and then you also threw kerosene on a worldwide brush fire that's now killing people with fever dreams. And now we have a podcast with your fucking term all over it. 
Um, and, and how well did you really think you were writing about handling the dark forces in a non-malicious way? Well, you laundered your Blunderfield book with self-help and wellness tips. The Illuminati has managed to invert things pretty well. So one obvious solution is for us to start turning things back the right way up. There's a lot you can do to help write things. Start getting back into your power. Start at home. Here are a few suggestions. Stick to the truth. Weed out any lies from your life. Learn something new. Get educated on the internet. Reverse school and TV dumbing down. Clean up your act. Stop watching porn. Even the free stuff earns the Illuminati billions. Stop eating factory farmed meat. Spread love. Help others where you can. Start praying. So or reasonable. Meditating. Spread Start, love. So reasonable. Well, who's going to argue with that? What are, what are you? What kind of right, monster exactly. are you, Matthew? Start praying or meditating every night. Plant a few wildflowers or weeds. Turn off the TV. Break your addiction to computer games and get on 4chan. <laughs> get healthy. Replace junk food and soda with healthy foods. Avoid GMOs where you can. In a later list of activities, she said she would scupper the Illuminati. Farmer adds, downsize your car, shop secondhand, grow cannabis, refuse vaccination. See how wholesome it all is? It's all just, it's, it's, it's holistic, in fact. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's too bad, actually, that Charlotte Farmer is offline because she'd do so well on Insta Reels today. Thank you, listeners, for your attention and support. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, if you have suggestions for how we might rename our podcast, drop us a line. <laughs>